Hey there! This is a quick trigger warning that in this episode there is mention of miscarriage, rape, and suicide. Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the podcast that knows that abortion rights are central to feminism and that feminism is central to destroying capitalism. Today we have Ambria and Laura. How are you doing, Laura? Oh, I'm just, you know, just really flying high in my life right now. Honestly, things just couldn't be better. How about <laughs> She says with deadness in her voice. Yeah, it's been oh. a week. Yeah, I know that if if you haven't heard yet, we, we are in the process of um, bringing on two new hosts. If you haven't listened to our farewell for now, little mini episode about... Lindsay taking a step back, uh, please check that out and, you know, be able to hear our goodbye for now for that. And, and yeah, if you know of anyone or, well, I guess by the time this airs, it'll, the search will be closed, but, um, we are bringing on two new hosts. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. It's really exciting. Um, we've already been reading through a lot of applications and it's, really touching how many incredibly interesting and knowledgeable uh, people are interested in being involved in our project. So it's it's been really cool. I went to a wedding last night, and so I'm kind of hungover. Uh, <laughs> Here for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my friends Byron and Laureen got married. Byron is running for alderman. So if you live in Pilsen, please vote for Byron. Um, and I also accidentally got a cat. So, yes, I, I feel like this, if you were at our live show, you know, that this is, uh, a point of contention among the coven. Um, <laughs> cause we have some like specific cat lovers and then there are like cat adjacent people of which I am. I'm like, yeah, cats are fine. I don't necessarily consider myself a cat person. And Ambria was always right there with me on that and then <laughs> I saw her post on Instagram that like these continued pictures of this cat and I was like wait a minute now <laughs> what has happened here why you were like why is one of the only people that isn't always trying to send people cat pictures suddenly posting cat pictures Precisely. yeah a cat forced herself into my life she's sitting next to me on the couch in a little patch of sun these things happen <laughs> um, so we're very excited to welcome our guest, Rita. Woo. Rita, woo! Rita is a part <laughs> of a group called Rosa in Ireland, and she's going to talk to us about what happened there just a handful of months ago or over the past year or so. And she's going to talk to us also about the group Rosa and what they did to push the movement for abortion rights to the left. <laughs> Yeah, oh, welcome, Rita. Rita. Thank you so much for being with us, and let us know like who you are and and what your background is. 
Hello, thanks for having me. So I, uh, my name's Rita Harold. I'm active with a group called Rosa. As people can probably guess, Rosa is named after Rosa Parks, obviously legendary uh, civil rights activist in the US who also, you know, campaigned for Planned Parenthood and did loads of other really good things uh, as an activist fighting against racism, etc. And then also after Rosa Luxemburg, who I know you talk about on this podcast sometimes, um, and people should read her stuff uh, if they haven't and are looking for, you know, lefty women uh, and want to read some socialist theory and uh, left theory written by women. Rosa Luxemburg is a great place to start. Uh, so we are named after her and we um, campaign, obviously, We've been fighting very hard for abortion rights for the last five years in particular. And I've been like a left activist uh, for about 10 years. Um, so this has kind of taken over my whole life. And uh, great to be talking to other people. We in Rosa have always tried to kind of look internationally because for a while it felt like nothing was really happening in Ireland. And every time we tried to raise it, politicians would be saying there's no appetite for change. We you know, oh, here's this tiny, tiny reform. We're not, we're not going to, Ireland isn't ready for something like that. So we've always tried to look internationally and see, learn lessons from, you know, how abortion rights were won in the US 45 years ago, how they were won um, all around the world and in other contexts similar to Ireland, you know, where you would have uh, the Catholic Church in a powerful position or mm. conservative political establishment and how movements of ordinary women ordinary people have pushed uh, for the law to change so we've always kind of looked all around the world so it's great to be talking to fellow activists you know several time zones removed <laughs> from our situation yeah it's much later at night there my my hungover day is just getting started we're super excited to talk to you too um and thank you once again for for being here with us I just want to mention um, that we're going to try our best to talk about abortion as something that affects everyone. Uh, that includes trans men and non-binary people, first of all. But also, it has an impact on any parent forced to raise a child against their will. Um, this burden still falls most heavily on women, and childbearing has historically been central to the control of women's bodies. So we want to be intentional about walking that line between recognizing it as an issue of women's rights in particular, but also as being something central to anti-capitalism and impacting a lot of different people of different genders. Um, so I just wanted to take a second to mention that we're thinking about that as we move through this episode. Um, so Rita, let's just kind of get like a brief overview for our listeners who maybe haven't followed it very closely about what's been going on in Ireland over the past year or so. What did you win and what was your involvement in that? So in May of this year, there was a public vote, a referendum to repeal the Eighth Amendment, which was a ban on abortion from the constitution. We had a sort of unusual situation, uh, just to briefly go into the history of it, mm -hmm. where we had the constitutional ban on abortion because essentially 35 years ago the Catholic right could see that things were changing that you know things were opening up a bit in Ireland and they wanted to put a sort of block on um, the possibility of progress on the issue of abortion so they campaigned and got the government at the time in the 
1980s to hold a referendum to put the ban on abortion that already existed into the constitution. And unfortunately, they were successful. So we didn't just need to sort of push the politicians to change the law or, you know, win a sort of judicial review or something like that. We needed to have a public vote in order to change the law on abortion. So we had that vote on uh, at the end of May and it was an amazing uh, yes vote and a high turnout, a high turnout of young people, a really high turnout of women and uh, a huge number if you look at the statistics for how many people voted in the last general election in comparison to how many people voted in the referendum to repeal the eighth like the number of young women nearly doubled and things like this so it was really a big issue for people um, and sort of an unusual situation where you have this mass participation and this really broad public dialogue about the issue of abortion and then it coming to a head and having a vote and obviously getting that yes vote and like in Dublin the capital city where I'm based it was nearly 90 percent yes and mm, uh, so wow. it's a huge huge victory for us yep that's amazing and I love that I feel like a tactic that politicians use sometimes when it comes to these issues that they think are somehow controversial but like really when it comes down to it people are just like oh no, this isn't a controversy and we're going to let you know how we feel about it. You know, yeah, it's it, it's interesting um, the way you're talking about that, Laura, because it reminds me too of like, I don't know, I feel like people fight the hardest when they know that maybe a lot of people in a country are going to feel a certain way about something. Um, like here in Illinois, rent control is banned. Um, so here in Chicago and in Illinois, there's been a big, um, we've been working on getting that repealed. And it's sort of like, you know, that, that they put a ban on it because so many people support it. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely interesting, but I'm so glad you had that, that win. And like, I feel like even just watching the news surrounding the win was like so electrifying for me personally, like so heartwarming for me personally that I feel like, you know, the news can be so terrible and a nightmarish hellscape. And then I feel like when that was going on, I just was like, oh my God, we're okay. Everything will be okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's been an inspiration, you know, to the other movements for example, on the issue of housing, which can actually be really, really get people down, you know, when they're personally affected, when they're facing homelessness. Um, it, it's extremely difficult and to then see a victory in on a big issue kind of gave people a jolt of actually you can get loads of people on, bo on board. You can push the politicians. You can win uh, victories. So um, it sort of invigorated other issues as well. Absolutely. I totally can see that. <laughs> so I'm just kind of curious what the historical precedent has been with Ireland. You mentioned, you know, 35 years ago, there was this ban. I'm wondering if you have any historical context leading up to that ban, as well as, you know, what, what did people do during that time? You know, as we know, abortions don't stop regardless of legality. Um, and so I'm wondering if you can maybe speak to that and then 
yeah, just kind of give us a broader picture beyond this past year. So before the Eighth Amendment went in, um, abortion was already banned. It was banned in the Offences Against the Persons Act, which was an old British law and sort of, you know, laws from before Irish independence are kind of still on the books until they're repealed or replaced or whatever. Mm. So it was already illegal and like the language is really archaic in it but um that was the law and in fact that sort of remained the law because the constitution banned abortion but it didn't outline what the criminal sanction was so actually the law was still uh, the offenses against the persons act until in 2012 when Savita Halapanavar died a really famous case that I'm sure some of your listeners did hear about mm. five years ago um or well, nearly six years ago now, um, Savita was miscarrying a wanted pregnancy in a hospital in Galway uh, on the west coast of Ireland. And she requested an abortion. They wouldn't provide one, even though they had on her chart that it was an inevitable miscarriage because the fetus still had a heartbeat and she died of septicemia. So that case, um, thankfully, her family were very brave and shared their grief publicly in order to try and get the law changed and so that case really ignited uh, the sort of recent uh, abortion rights movement in Ireland but it also did force the politicians to bring in a really small change they you know they saw this movement erupting and they wanted to misdirect it and to you know stop it from developing so they brought in the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act in 2013, which essentially says it's still illegal, like it says in the Constitution, to have an abortion unless you would die otherwise. And the reason oh could be your physical health is in danger or that your mental health is in danger. Mm. But qualifying seems to be very difficult. You know, a panel of three doctors have to agree it. One of them has to be an obstetrician, even if you know you're suicidal and that's why your life is at risk and um, you still have to have an obstetrician agree that you're suicidal which is you know ridiculous and mm. um, so it's it's a very difficult situation and about 26 people a year qualify legally to have an abortion that way at the minute and at the same time the reality is that 4,000 people are giving Irish addresses in British abortion clinics every single year and um, about 1,000 people are ordering abortion pills online from services like Women on Web. And um, the customs do seize them if they get posted directly to Ireland so they have to, or the, to the Republic of Ireland. So they have to get posted to the north and then people have to go up and collect them. So it's a bit of a rigmarole because of the, you know, attempted ban that the state has. But people are doing it all the time. And um, mm. so, you know, just like all over the world, banning abortion doesn't work at all people find ways around it but because of this historic path where people were going to Britain and you know it's like a ferry ride or a plane ride and um, my the actual transport might cost you you know as cheap as 100 euro or you know last minute flights could be much more expensive than that and then the procedure itself and um, you have to pay for it because you're not a UK citizen and um, could be a thousand euro or 800 euro something like that so while it's very expensive it's also something that a lot of people were sort of able to borrow money and make happen so we don't have the same history of you know this idea that you know 
illegal abortion means that people are in a dangerous situation and people are dying. We don't have the same level as that of that as you would have, for example, throughout Latin America, where abortion bans are really rigorously enforced and things like that. And um, at the same time, we've had a number of examples like Savitas of people who were basically, you know, left in a torturous situation in hospitals and the doctors felt they couldn't help or the doctors had, you know, a specific pro-life agenda and didn't want to help um, and didn't intervene on time and people have died. It's so insane to me. It, it, it's, it, I mean, and I don't mean to necessarily bring it back to the United States, but of course that's what I know. And I live in a very Catholic city in the United States. Um, like most of the immigrant population that came to Buffalo um, were Catholic and therefore like it's still, there's still a huge Catholic hold here. And many of our hospitals are Catholic hospitals. And I've had so many friends who have gotten into threatening situations with their pregnancies, but their health insurance was only through the Catholic hospitals and they couldn't get the help that they needed in New York state, you know, in a, in a fairly progressive state. And, and so it's, these stories, even under a legal system, are so common and it's really scary and frightening. Um, and I just wanted to, to say as well, like most people who live either on the southern border or northern border of the United States will still often seek their abortions either in Mexico or in Canada mm. um, because it is often still so difficult regardless of the legality at this point to to get access and affordability to the abortion that they might need. You can actually travel to Mexico City and have a free abortion using abortion pills in the first trimester. It doesn't matter where you're from in the world, mm. which is a bit ridiculous because in other parts of Mexico, abortion is inaccessible. Wow, but, I did not you know, know that. Mm. Yeah, you you quickly get hooked up with uh, abortion activists all over the world when you're <laughs> <laughs> for sure when you're in this kind of line of activism. So <laughs> absolutely. Um, speaking about your uh, the line of activism that you're in, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the group Rosa and what you've done in the past and what you do now? Yeah, so Rosa, we call ourselves socialist feminist movement and we want to be sort of the socialist feminist wing of the broader abortion rights and feminist movement in Ireland. We have worked really well with loads of other groups that come from very different perspectives and you know this is broad coalition to repeal the eighth amendment that's existed for the last few years and we've uh, very much participated in that and you think it's very important for the movement to come together and organize, you know, big events, you know, none of us as individual groups, even the biggest groups have the ability to organize marches of tens of thousands of people without any support. We need to support each other. So we've always done that. And we've always seen that as important. But we also have done our own thing. And um, we are kind of well known in Ireland for being uh, sort of quite radical. And before things kicked off fully in the last couple of years with repeal becoming like a really mass demand that, you know, just huge layers of people were calling for. 
we organized events like the abortion pill train um, and the abortion pill bus where we worked with women on web where we imported abortion pills through Northern Ireland into the Republic and on our first action we basically were uh, replicating an an action that uh, second wave feminists took in the 70s when contraception was banned in Ireland and imported the pills and took them in front of the media uh, to basically say, you know, this is the same as us, you know, bringing legal contraception into Ireland embarrassingly late. We, you know, we need to bring in legal abortion and, uh, you know, sort of do two things at once. Number one, politically say it's outrageous that this law exists and the law needs to change and sort of challenging the state to intervene or to arrest us, which they never, ever, ever did, uh, even though like constitutionally prohibited, really clearly outlined what the criminal sanctions were. And when they brought in that very slight reform of you could get an abortion if you would die otherwise after Savita's death, they also updated what the criminal sanction was. And they said, okay, it's not a lifetime of penal servitude, like the old law said, it's up to 14 years in prison. So obviously that's quite a serious sanction. So we kind of wanted to put it up to them of you're not going to implement that. And they never did. They never even arrested us or questioned us or anything. Um, And obviously the other purpose of those actions was to make sure that people who, pregnant people who didn't want to be pregnant had access to that information and could get access to that service if they needed it. This is the problem with sort of, a telemedical service being illegal is you know stickers with information would go up on the backs of toilet doors but they'd be pulled down and you know it was hard to get that information out to people and for a very long time when we first started those actions you know if we were interviewed on the radio or things like that they'd say oh well you can't mention the name of the website you can't you know be illegally promoting abortion information and we just pushed and pushed and pushed and made it an established reality that, you know, these pills are being imported and we have to talk about them and we have to talk about why people need them and why those people shouldn't be in fear of being arrested. And so that's kind of a lot of the big things that we've been doing. Mm. And then, you know, now we have obviously won that victory of the repeal referendum and we want to sort of um, reinvigorate ourselves as a socialist feminist group and you know having discussions and having political discussions that obviously don't stop us from you know doing our work as activists doing international solidarity work like over the summer protests in solidarity with the Argentinian movement things like that but also making time for political discussion because actually it's really important for women to get active it's important for non-binary and queer people to get active in the movement you know the left movement should be a movement for equality for all of us it should be an end to for an end to the economic uh, oppression but also to the discrimination that capitalism builds and feeds off of all the time and you know we need to be central to that movement therefore so we try and have you know pretty regular discussion groups where we get into you know political theory historic battles they all kinds of things um and sort of build uh, and develop our group that way um well first of all 14 years is a very light prison sentence in the united states so (laughs) 
Just kidding. <laughs> I'm making a joke about how we live in a really punitive um, yeah. state. But I, I am curious um, to ask, you know, you said you kind of almost challenged the authorities to arrest you and you kind of pushed to talk about resources for women publicly, um, women and other people who get abortions publicly. What, um, why do you think that they didn't arrest you or that they didn't come investigate you or why, why do you think that nothing happened? I think sometimes it's easy for us to think like, obviously, particularly in the current American context that politicians, conservative politicians are stupid, but actually they do see what's happening. They see the class struggle unfolding. They know that, you know, attitudes are against them on a whole range of issues and they deliberately delay things. So I think they realized that if they were to arrest me, for example, the unbelievable sympathy I would get as, you know, here's just, you know, a young woman helping friends and other people get information about how to access an abortion because they can't afford, you know, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 euro to travel to England to get an abortion that's legal. Um, I think that they realized that that would just really spark a huge movement um, in solidarity with whoever got arrested and in opposition to the law. And it would point out how ridiculous the law is because I, I didn't go into all of the detail, but there are some other provisions. You know, there was a famous case, the X case in the 90s, in which a teenage or she might not even have been teenage. She might have been even younger than that rape victim. Uh, was suicidal and needed an abortion and the police tried to stop her from traveling uh, because that would be illegal so that kind of brought up the question of that people were traveling all the time but abortion was illegal and there was just a huge public movement you know tens of thousands of people on the streets saying let her go let her go to England for an abortion and um, obviously such a particularly vulnerable young person uh, such a uh, case that kind of brings highlights all the extreme uh, difficulties that people can face um, and need an abortion and um, so just received huge public sympathy etc and they realized that actually people don't stand over this massively conservative regime so I think they were fearful that if they cracked down again if they tried to shut down the movement if they tried to shut down you know people one-on-one -on -one helping each other to get pills etc they'd actually provoke a huge reaction that they didn't want to deal with. And obviously, at the same time, you've had loads of political turmoil. You've had the implementation of austerity, which has been very difficult for the political establishment. They're happy to implement it. All the parties for big business are happy to implement this austerity, but it's difficult for them because it's hugely unpopular. So it's difficult for them to get reelected. So they just didn't want to deal with another issue that they mistakenly saw as controversial, but that also they just had a conservative opposition to um, and their whole political ideology has an opposition to and they didn't want to sort of have to deal with that at the same time that they're facing huge fight backs on you know different austerity measures that were being brought in like water charges. Mm. What an excellent lesson about our power. Um, we're gonna pause there and take a break uh have a little music and then we'll come back and talk more with rita and we are back um i wanted to get into some of the political nuances of this movement leading up to the repeal of um the ban 
amongst the people fighting for abortion, what were some of the differing ideas and where did Rosa stand on that? So, as I said, we have had this kind of broad network of uh, different groups who come from different perspectives, you know, fully pro-choice, pro-repeal, um, and some of them will be very different types of groups. So, you know, Rosa is an activist group and you would have had sort of student unions who would have a kind of similar, you know, they'd be doing lots of activity on different issues as well, but then also kind of human rights lobbying groups and you know, people from quite different perspectives. Um, so we've kind of had this good system of coming together for big events and then also allowing for different groups to do their own thing. Now, a lot of groups for the actual referendum saw the need to come together in a much more defined and cohesive way. And you had the Together for Yes campaign launched on that basis with three of the biggest groups in the leadership and then, you know, over 100 other organizations rowing in behind that message. We were a part of Together for Yes, but we also did our own independent campaigning. And Together for Yes, you know, had big successes. They had really big, um, you know, mass activities where you'd have, you know, 100 different people showing up to canvas one area together and things like this. And um, they obviously postered leaflets, etc. They took a sort of, um, an approach really trying to build support uh, from people who might, their instinct might be to oppose abortion. In Rosa, we uh, took a bit of a different approach and we really wanted to activate the big layers that we saw, you know, come out on the streets and protest when, you know, Savita Halapanavar died, who had been on, you know, pro-choice demonstrations in the last few years, who were wearing pro-choice merchandise, this phenomenon of this repeal jumper was just ubiquitous. It was everywhere all over the country. Mm. And particularly in Dublin city centre, you just see like young people wearing it all the time. And it was clear to us, there's actually a real mood here for something more radical to be, you know, really, really defiantly pro-choice and to demand our rights, which we saw as a real positive and that that could be, you know, if it was activated and galvanised, it could be put into, uh, brought into play in the referendum campaign in a really positive way. And we just saw some examples, you know, that was kind of how we saw things going at the beginning of the campaign. And then by the end of the campaign, we heard of examples of like 16 year olds who, you know, aren't old enough to vote, who had convinced their entire families to vote yes and things mm. like this. So actually, you know, pro-choice young people uh, being unapologetically pro-choice was actually a really positive force um, and like I even heard of older people who said, I don't fully get why this is necessary. Like, I don't fully understand why someone would have an abortion, but young people seem to want it. And actually, you know, you should tr trust young people and, you know, things are going to progress the way young people want them to. So, you know, you should kind of get in with that, which I thought was kind of very, uh, some really nice examples of solidarity throughout the campaign. Yeah. We really tried to, be as visible as possible. So there's a really big tradition in Ireland of door-to-door -door canvassing, like for every election, every referendum, people will come and knock on your door and have a chat with you about how you're voting. Um, and we did do that, but we also wanted to be sort of a big visible presence in the city centres. So we would have these kind of giant stalls. I think American activists call it tabling. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
where there's little fold-up tables, loads of leaflets, badges, stickers. We're wearing our pro-choice merch and we have a little sound system and we're talking about radical feminist politics. Yes. <laughs> it was really, we're not just talking about abortion, we're talking about broader. And you, there was like a big case uh, in Northern Ireland just kind of before the campaign, the, you know, short, sharp, intense weeks of the campaign kicked off where um, there was a rape trial that was very widely publicized in the media um, and, you know, loads of slut shaming, etc. So there's actually a real anger on that issue amongst young women. And we actually found that we were able to talk about that case with older people, with all kinds of people and find sympathy and find an understanding of how, you know, there are all kinds of circumstances that happen and uh, why it's so important for abortion to be actually really easy to access. Um, because if you have some like limited law where it's, you have to jump through hoops or you have to uh, follow some bureaucratic system, then the most vulnerable just won't be able to do that. Um, so we we really tried to get into sort of more developed political discussions with people than just you know, women are people, they should be able to control their own bodies, which obviously is a key uh, on this whole topic. Um, we also tried to be trans inclusive with our campaign. So we did use the word women and we sort of politically think it is important to mention women because, you know, the root of misogyny and the way it's used under capitalism is, you know, a big issue that the left should be talking about and should be campaigning on and also really ties in with the homophobia and transphobia as well. Um, so we think it's you know politically useful to link those very much. But we tried whenever we said women to say pregnant people alongside that to be inclusive. This was a big issue, particularly for sort of teenagers and younger people who wanted to get involved in the campaign, that they're just very passionate about that. So we thought that was absolutely key, but also just essential to be inclusive and supportive of all kinds of people. Um, so that was one of the issues that, you know, with our posters, we tried to use trans-inclusive language um, and we had some posters with slogans like stop policing my body and things like that, which were, you know, um, seen as a bit controversial by um, some other people who maybe did support repeal but didn't fully get where we were coming from but we had a hugely positive response and um, and I've been involved in a lot of campaigns and sometimes it's easy to get people to put up posters it's like very physically demanding work to you know climb a ladder and put a big heavy poster up on a lamppost but I've never found it easy to get volunteers to come and take down posters but with this campaign we had you know, a big string of people come in and volunteer to take down the posters because they thought the campaign was so important. It was, they were boosted by the victory and they really wanted no pro-choice groups to be fined money for leaving their posters up too long. So that was sort of one of the kind of really impressive things uh, that showed the breadth of uh, the activism around this movement, that it didn't even sort of fade away straight after the victory. The youth are truly undoing gender, I have to say. I love it. Yes, Absolutely. It's it's funny because sort of as an activist, sometimes you feel like, oh, I know lots of things, etc. <laughs> but actually then you meet someone who's 10 years younger than you or like 15 years younger than you and already an activist. <laughs> um, and they're like, why, why would you ever talk about that? That's gendered. 
my god I love it (laughs) it's it's great you know to have young people active in the movement and making it clear to us it's really really important that we talk about this stuff and that we're inclusive Uh, so that was we were you know we've loads of trans activists in Rosa so that wasn't hard for us to do we had people pushing us uh, to say all the right things whenever we could yeah absolutely I think you already spoke a little bit to why Rose's influence was important, you know, particularly in broadening the discussion, you know, not keeping it so, I think, I think, you know, in the United States it's the same thing. People often focus on um, cases where some people would empathize, you know, where there's rape involved or other things involved rather than like seeing these things as systemic oppression against uh, pregnant people's bodies and um, so so it's I think that's incredible the work that y'all are doing um, do you think that Rosa's influence ultimately impacted the outcome you know separate from that core group of, of people that you spoke about earlier do you think that Rosa kind of like influenced the narrative on a broader scale and influenced you know ultimately then what the outcome ended up being I think for the referendum itself one of the things uh, in Rosa we've always been optimistic on the basis of the response that we get when we do tabling in city centers mm-hmm. and we're talking to you know all kinds of people um, and we'd you know particularly be trying to talk to working class people um, like just one anecdote is there was a bus driver strike uh, coming up and uh, we obviously wanted to be supportive etc and one of our activists just a young woman was getting off the bus a few days before the strike and said you know good luck with the strike to the driver we we have a huge culture of it would be socially horrendous to not thank the bus driver so <laughs> it's very normal to have a little chat with the bus driver and mm. uh, she said good luck with the strike and his response to her she wasn't even wearing a repeal jumper or anything was good luck with repeal because he just saw I'm involved in this struggle for, you know, maintain pensions, keep the roots, etc. And I can see that the struggle that young women are involved with is repeal. And I, you know, solidarity between the struggles, mm. that kind of thing. Just so often you just feel actually all kinds of people. It's not just like people personally affected. It's all kinds of people actually see this as an historic injustice against pregnant people's bodies. And we have this history of particular um, institutions that the Catholic Church ran called Magdalene Laundries and I think it was like maybe one or two Protestant one uh, similar homes uh, which I'm sure people have heard of the kind of mother and baby homes and the scandal of um, children being basically stolen from their mothers and uh, adopted without permission or without you know fully informed consent and things like this but uh, there were also these kind of prisons where women who had babies outside of marriage or were just poor and good looking and thought that they would be too tempting to men um people with mental health problems women who were sent to prison uh there weren't real women's prisons for a long time so they were sent to these magdalene laundries where basically it was just a private laundry that the catholic church took the money from so they'd like wash sheets and wash all kinds of things. And those, the last of those laundries closed in the early 90s. 
And basically, <laughs> the reason that they withered away wasn't because the church realized, oh, this is terrible. We This is embarrassing. We have to shut these. It's because it became affordable to own washing machines. Mm. So they weren't being used as much, you know. So this is quite a recent history that everyone in Ireland knows about. And people just, even if they don't really get it about abortion, they're just like, I'm not okay with anything that tells pregnant people what to do because I see what I've seen what that looks like. That looks like these horrible institutions. I don't want that. I want something better for people. And so, you know, there was all kinds of things to tap into support on the basis of. Um, And, you know, obviously older people who actually had personally experienced much more acutely the severity of having the church dictate to them what they could do what they could do with their bodies what they what kind of relationships they could be in etc were very sympathetic uh, to the campaign you know here in the u.s we've had quite a different situation um and by the way there is some movie on netflix about like places for pregnant women it's, it's a pretty famous one and i always i always almost watch it and then I'm like I don't think I'm ready to cry all day Mm. um (laughs) but here in the U.S. you know depending on the state um we have had legal abortion for a while but um our abortion rights are constantly in various levels of danger and for example it's much easier to get an abortion here in Illinois than it is to get an abortion like in Kentucky um And there's actually a group called the Midwest Access Coalition here in Chicago that um, fundraises and organizes to bring women from other more restrictive states in the Midwest to Chicago for an abortion and help help set them up with housing and transportation and moral support. Um, You know, so we're still having to do things like that. And... um, we, I, I'd also love to give, and I think Laura, if you if you want to help out with this, just sort of um, for our listeners, a quick rundown of kind of where we're at nationally with abortion, mm-hmm. um, and uh, why Kavana, who is up to maybe become a, a judge on the Supreme Court, is so important uh, regarding what's at stake for us here in the U.S. Uh, when it comes to abortion. Have you, is it Kavanaugh or Kavana? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I assume it's Kavanaugh. I think it's Kavanaugh. <laughs> but I was like, whoa. What did I say? Kavana. I mean, that's just a nightmare word for a Western <laughs> person in general. Like so Kavana. many long vowels. Kavna. 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 Kavana. Anyway. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So. I wanted to kind of give some background and then go into a little bit with Kavanaugh as well. So we already know that currently under the guise of constitutional rights to an abortion, you know, upheld by Roe, um, many people in the United States are still completely unable to get the the services they need to terminate a pregnancy. There are a lot of false clinics um, or places that advertise as though they do abortion procedures but actually try to slow down the process enough to make it much more challenging for a pregnant person to seek the resources they need. Um, And this is in many states across the country. 
I know a lot of people throughout, you know, Pittsburgh, DSA, and other areas of Pennsylvania are trying to expose false clinics within Pennsylvania. You know, you think, oh, it's a northern, northeastern state. It's fine. No, it's not fine. Um, we know that many states have one or two clinics for the entire state. Um, places like Texas or Colorado, that means people are driving up to six hours and when you need to go back several times before actually getting a procedure because of those different restrictive laws per state that Ambrio was talking about. Um, and this obviously affects the working poor the most, especially if they don't have access to transportation. And it is intentional and purposeful. So this constitutional right to an abortion does not guarantee access or affordability. Um, and we also have places like Ohio. If you are someone who is seeking uh, to fulfill your pregnancy, um, but you end up having a miscarriage, there are rules in place around like burials or a memorial surrounding your miscarriage which is just like so entirely offensive and so entirely fucked up. Um, and yeah, like you have to have a funeral and bury the embryo, right? Right. Like Yeah. So we already live in a pro-life puritanical hellscape, um, but let's all hold on to our Purple Mountain Majesties because it's about to get a lot worse. <laughs> so... Uh, in late June of this year, the Supreme Court handed down a favorable decision in NIFLA versus Becerra, agreeing that pro-life crisis pregnancy centers shouldn't have to post information about abortion. Ew. Yeah. It's, so pregnant people will already have a more challenging time getting information they need when they're in a very vulnerable state. Um, so we have Kavanaugh who um, not only has, has said things that um, suggest that he believes contraception is, is uh, an abortion-inducing drug. I wanted to make sure I got the quote correctly. Um, oh, my God. So abortion-inducing drug and devices, so alluding to IUDs um, as well. And these are things that more than 95% of women um, and non-binary and trans folks use in their lifetime, right? So um, it's, it's, it's so, so unbelievably offensive that this person is even up for Supreme Court nomination. Uh, but I have, um, I have another quote from him here. It says, just pull out. Oh, yeah. Super cool. That's not Super real. Super special. Because um, <laughs> you're always in control of whether your partner does that or not. Right, exactly. Mm. Um, and and there were Historically, leaks. women have all the power in interpersonal relations. Exactly, right? That's never a dangerous scenario for anyone. Um, there's leaked documents that highlight Kavanaugh's emails during the Bush administration um, that show him writing, quote, I'm not sure that all legal scholars refer to Roe as the settled law of the land at the Supreme Court level, since court can always overrule its precedent, and three current justices on the court would do so, unquote. And again, that was back um, during the Bush administration, and now we already have four uh, justices on the court that would do so. He would, he would be the fifth. Um, his email stopped short 
of saying whether he personally believed that abortion rights precedent should be considered a legal issue, but we can obviously infer from his past uh, that his nomination poses an extremely serious threat to unwanted pregnancies across the country. Um, overturning Roe would have unbearably scary consequences in our country because for, you know, we, we, we notoriously have the most abysmal sex ed out of most developed nations in the world, you know, as we, as we spoke with, with Tanya a few weeks ago, um, our public education system still allows abstinence only sex ed to take place. Um, you know, we, we could really do a whole episode on how messed up America's anti-abortion history is, as well as the present and the future, but I really only wanted to give some background information on what's been going on recently um, because I think that it's important to contextualize how important this organizing that Rita has been doing in Ireland is and how like serious we need to take into account that type of organizing because it's not only a fight that we're still fighting regardless of its legality currently, but something that we really need to keep in mind um, as the threat of it becoming constitutionally illegal uh, is like right around the corner at this point. Um, yeah, and I think uh, this is a really broad question, Rita, but I think a question we have is, you know, how how is the U.S. connected to all these different places such as Ireland and Argentina? Um, and we really wanted to have somebody from Argentina on the show as well, but there's so much going on there. Um, they're occupying universities currently um, that uh, we really couldn't make it work. But um, I'm, I'm intensely curious about what this fight internationally means for us here and, and how we're connected. Yeah, I like for us, it has always been an example that we pointed to of how Roe v. Wade uh, was won. It's not sort of, you know, liberals might like to paint it as, oh, well, the institutions came into play and, you know, the court ruled the right way, whatever. In reality, you've got like obviously huge numbers of people dying and being really, really seriously injured because of people needing abortions despite it being illegal. And this massive feminist movement all over the US fighting for loads of different issues, but obviously abortion rights being you know, this very big issue, which, you know, some sometimes people say kind of united the whole movement and then other people say it didn't fully unite the whole movement and questions about inclusivity and, you know, uh, black women particularly being brought into the movement, etc. But it undoubtedly was a mass movement, a mass struggle from below, put enormous pressure on the establishment. So you have a situation where you've got the Republicans in power, you've got, you know, a conservative uh, state and yet the court is pushed to rule in a progressive way that you know your personal privacy is important that your own bodily autonomy in effect is important and that actually it's your private business if you need an abortion and the state shouldn't be able to interfere with that you know a really important historic victory and at a sa similar time across Europe you've got abortion rights being won and um, obviously the wording of some of those laws we would now look at as quite conservative um, but you know say the British law is 50 years old now it's being interpreted in a progressive way by you know doctors in Britain today 
uh, there's still a need to fully decriminalize abortion, etc. Um, and the key, I think, for all of us as left feminists is to realize capitalism will take back whatever reforms we win from it unless we keep pushing. Mm. Uh, I think that outlines very clearly why we need to push beyond capitalism and fight for a different si- system. But it also says even under capitalism, we need to remain active. We need to remain organized because if the abortion rights movement in Ireland had been stronger, had been more organized when Savita's death was publicly announced, we could have had this referendum five years ago. But the and in that time, you know, over 20,000 20, people have had to travel abroad to access abortion. How many people have we not heard about who had the most incredibly difficult time with that? Um, you know, have, have other people that we haven't heard about died in that time? Very possibly. So um, obviously for people in the American context, 20,000 won't sound like that many people, but Ireland has a very small population. Um, we obviously have a very standard abortion rate as basically everywhere in the world has. Uh, though obviously the Netherlands, well, not obviously, but the Netherlands and Canada would have kind of lower abortion rates in line with their more progressive abortion laws and more progressive setups with reproductive rights in general, sexual health, uh, free access to contraception on public health services, etc. Um, I think right now you've got a system where you, you've got a situation in the US where the world is watching. The world, you know, the working class of the entire world is horrified by Trump, just as I know huge uh, portions of the working class in the US are horrified by Trump. And you've got the potential to organize a mass movement against his policies in general. Obviously, we've seen, you know, bursts um, at some of the particularly racist uh, policies, at some of the uh, particularly outrageous policies. Uh, but on this issue as well, And one piece of advice I would have for anyone anywhere in the world uh, getting active on the issue of abortion is talk to people. Don't talk to one person. Don't talk to don't only listen to your one auntie or your boss or whatever person who volunteers their totally anti-abortion <laughs> opinions to you. Talk to people in general and you will realize even in the most conservative situations that actually a lot of people have a lot of empathy for someone who's facing a crisis pregnancy, who doesn't know what to do, who, you know, is in a difficult situation. A lot of people have a lot of empathy for that. And just because someone doesn't fully understand why someone might need an abortion doesn't mean that they hate women or they, you know, want to have a dictatorial control over anyone with a uterus. It often means that they don't fully understand And it, you know, it hasn't happened to them yet. And because the movements all across the world haven't been as strong in the last few decades as I think is needed, um, they haven't been educated on these issues. And maybe they've specifically had these anti-abortion uh, groups masquerading as, you know, relationship advice or whatever come into their schools and play anti-abortion propaganda videos for them as literal children. They have to watch these things. So there's a lot of misinformation out there and often you've got to sort of spread basic information along, you know, literally how bodies work, etc. alongside talking about politics. Um, and that can seem like a really big task. But actually, I think if we can do it in Ireland where, you know, 
not over 90% of public schools are still controlled by the Catholic Church, mm. where, you know, many, many, many people don't get any uh, sexual health education um, and we can win, you know, by a big margin, then I think it could be done elsewhere. I'm thinking a lot, um, going back to something you said much earlier uh, about how you've seen a lot of women just become more politically active in general through this movement and how meaningful that's been for a lot of women that you've come into contact with. Um, and just thinking about how becoming politically engaged is sort of, it has a domino effect for a person. Um, do you want to say a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Our favorite uh, film in uh, Rosa is Pride. Uh, which is about the miners' strike and in uh, Britain and the uh, solidarity campaign, lesbians and gays support the miners. Um, it's on Netflix here. I don't know if you can watch it on Netflix in the US, but it's a really good film and I would highly recommend any activist to go and watch it. It's extremely uplifting. And um, if you look at that example, you had obviously the miners' men basically uh out on strike but you had this huge campaign of their girlfriends mothers wives partners daughters etc a big solidarity campaign led by women and then obviously specific uh, other groups like lgsm who just have an amazing story and people should watch the film but it's in very interesting if you look at that issue of uh, women who got involved with the minor strike and solidarity campaigns. And this is in the 80s, you know, this is uh, and the being small villages uh, where, you know, traditional gender roles would very much uh, hold sway. And um, after that struggle, after that strike was over, you had num the number of divorces went up, the number of women going to university went up, the number of people, women getting jobs went up. And essentially people's sights were raised by being part of the struggle. Um, in the repeal movement, it it one hundred percent is draining to particularly to talk about your personal story over and over again. And you know, a lot of activists have done it. I've done it. People talking about their own experiences of abortion, and it is a powerful tool. Um, but it also is so that can be draining. And like for anyone to go and knock on doors of strangers and have somebody tell you that they don't believe in your bodily autonomy obviously is you know emotional uh, and difficult work but for the most part the positive is extreme the experience is extremely positive and in fact you realize actually there's something to play with here there's something uh, in terms of broad attitudes about gender about pregnant people's bodies about church control about state control about public health care about all kinds of issues that actually, if we brought that into play, if we had more political discussions, if ordinary people, if the working class had a hand in politics, had a hand in how society was run, actually things could be very different. So I think it can be extremely uplifting. And just right now we have, you know, housing, an occupation of some vacant houses going on in Dublin to highlight the housing crisis, um, which is very severe at the minute. Um, we've got a number of people saying that they're going to run for election, you know, with different organizations. And um, obviously uh, I'm on the left and we'd want people running on a kind of radical basis. And there is that. And then there's also people kind of a little closer to the center. 
um, who would have been involved in the repeal campaign who are stepping forward to run for election. So I think you can see kind of on a broad kind of spectrum of things, people who uh, have, who would have thought that they could never knock on a door and talk to a stranger by themselves. They could never, you know, speak at a public meeting who then a few weeks or months later are, you know, leaders within the local campaign and playing an amazing role. Oh, that's so awesome to hear. And um, obviously in the United States too, we've had a lot of uh, momentum building up around leftist movements. And it's been really amazing to um, develop myself and, and watch others develop. Um, I do want to ask really quick before we wrap up. Um, so the the ban on abortion has been repealed. Are you guys now working to are you working to make abortion legal or what, how does that affect the actual legality of abortion? Um, and, and what's your current goal? So, um, the constitution kind of rules over things, but then in reality, the most important laws are legislation. So, uh, the protection of life during pregnancy act legislation is still in force. So abortion is still illegal, go to prison for 14 years, etc. Um, but in reality, things have relaxed and obviously like it's still known that people are getting abortion pills. And I think like a government minister even said on radio, well, obviously no one will be arrested now, um, which is kind of funny, you know, <laughs> they would say that still not repeal the criminalization, um, like actually do it in the parliament. But uh, so that's the legal situation at the minute. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, we know here in the U.S. from our experience because, um, you know, uh, abortion's legal here and it's still in danger. Uh, but thank you so much again for being on, Rita. I learned so much uh, during this episode just listening to you speak on your experiences. That's, um, that's it for our show. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Season of the Bee. You can email us at seasonofthebee at gmail.com. Um, you can go on to Patreon and give us money. It's like literally the best thing you could do. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, have a good week. We'll see you next time. Yay, thank Bye. you. Bye. Love Ooh. you. Good stuff.